We'll be reading out of the NIV version, and I'll be starting with Psalm 17, verses 1 to 9. Psalms 17, verses 1 to 9. Hear me, Lord. My plea is just. Listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. It does not rise from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from you. May your eyes see what is right. Though you probe my heart, though you examine me at night and test me, you will find that I have planned no evil. My mouth has not transgressed. Though people try to bribe me, I have kept myself from the ways of the violent through what your lips have commanded. My steps have been led, have held to your paths, and my feet have not stumbled. I call on you, my God, for you answer me. Turn my ear, turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. Show me the wonders of your great love. You who save by your right hand, those who take refuge in you from their foes. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who are out to destroy me, from my mortal enemies who surround me. And I'll be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 22, starting at verse 1, and reading all the way to verse 21. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel, and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as jealous, or zealous, I'm sorry, zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon as I, was, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus, because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. 
He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately, because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So do you know what day today is on the church calendar? It's Sunday. That's a start. What is special about this Sunday? What are we celebrating on the church calendar today? Pentecost? Not yet. Ascension Sunday. Next week is Pentecost. That means today is Ascension Sunday. This is a Sunday that remembers that Jesus ascended to heaven and will one day return in glory. And that's an important part of our gospel message. It's not just Jesus died, rose again, but he ascended to heaven where he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And so I'm thankful for that. Um, Ben mentioned uh, the memorial service on Friday. Uh, If you're not able to make it in person or you're not comfortable wearing a mask, we are live streaming the service so you can join us online at 2 p.m. It'll also be available on our YouTube channel afterwards. So if you're not even available because of work and you want to be a part of that, you can watch later on as well. And so, um, but thank you for your love and support for the family and understanding. the family has asked, requested the masks be worn, as we mentioned, and so we just want to honor and respect that. Um, but thank you for your love for Jean and the family as they journey through this season of grief and uh, navigate that. And I'm excited for Wednesday, June 1st, because David Simpson is starting. So I'm really excited to have David coming on staff, and uh, I hope you look forward to getting to know him more and uh, hear more of his story and share your stories with him. Now, I've always loved a good story. I grew up, every Sunday afternoon, my family would go to the library, and we'd pick out our pile of books, and I'd bring home a whole ton of them to read during that week. And at the same time, I grew up going to live theater Um, as my dad worked at the Citadel Theater in Edmonton. And so I saw way more live theater productions than I ever did movies growing up, and I loved it. I loved the stories and all the different ways they did that. Now today, I'm a fan of both live theater and movies. Uh, I love storytelling from those things. I really love historical-based movies. 
um, along with the other things I like, like fantasy movies and action movies. And each of these are examples of stories being told, whether it be books, theaters, movies. And the list could be expanded to include radio shows, TV shows. Even the news all center around stories. They're called news stories for a reason. I know I'm not the only one who loves stories, uh, with many of these being industries that have income in the billions of dollars. Storytelling in our culture is big money. Even the idea of social media is an example of people sharing parts of their stories, just little snippets. So whether it be watching something or telling our own story, this is something that we really appreciate and enjoy and value. We can see, ah, yes, yeah, sorry guys. Thank you. Now, when we come across information, we can see a wealth of facts and data around us. But what it is, is it's the stories, I think, that make things very real to us. It's the stories that ultimately can sway us. And living in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, this is where that really became real to me. How important stories were is I heard stories from so many different people. I'd heard of cystic fibrosis, but it wasn't until I met someone who was a double lung transplant recipient from cystic fibrosis that it became real to me what that meant. And then coming to Regina and, and making friends with someone whose daughter had cystic fibrosis. Their stories changed my understanding. Or pastoring in Prince Albert, uh, very much a, a city where prisons are a major industry there. So I got to know inmates in the federal prison. And I heard some of their stories and their journeys. And the whole prison system and the issues and challenges and who these inmates were became different to me because their stories impacted me. The stories of people struggling in the community around the church changed my perspective of low-income housing as I saw all sorts of different stories. The stories of Korean refugees who'd come over under horrible circumstances and getting to know them and their culture. This white Sherwood Park suburban boy being immersed in a world that was very different. And all of a sudden it started being real because I heard their stories. But it was one specific group of stories I think that has impacted me the most over the years since I arrived in Prince Albert in 2011. And it stuck with me. Now, a year ago, we heard of the graves of children who were found at residential schools. That brought back so many memories to me of conversations I heard in Prince Albert as survivors shared their stories of residential schools. You see, when I shortly after I arrived in Prince Albert, um, I was told, hey, you really should go to these meetings and hear what's being said. So I went, not really knowing what it was, but I was just told that I should be there, so I went. And it was the Truth and Reconciliation hearings in Prince Albert. And I heard the stories of survivors sharing their experiences at residential schools. I knew in my head what happened. I knew what happened was wrong. But it took on a whole new meaning for me when I watched a 70-year-old man break down in tears, acknowledging he'd been abused for years and never had told anyone had tried to drown it out with drinking, 
It had decimated his family. But he finally found a place where he could share his truth and know he could be heard. And there he was in tears, humbled, finally gaining some freedom by giving voice to the treatment he'd experienced and what he'd been through. It was a story, not the facts, not the details, not the numbers, are what really transformed my understanding and put that on my heart. And in my time in Prince Albert, I had a chance to hear story after story. It changed me. It impacted me. And that's what stories do. They change us not just in our mind and our understanding. They change our heart and how we see others. It's why stopping and listening to people is so important. Perhaps one of the most important ministries the church could have today is to actually stop and just hear the stories of those who don't come to church or don't profess faith and hear where they're at and listen to their story and then pray for them and love them. So why am I talking about stories? Because this morning's scripture really is a story. It's Paul's story. But it's also the story of the religious leaders, and it's God's story too. And these stories can show us the important stories can play. And I think this is very relevant to the church today. You know, it's interesting, as I talk with colleagues, many don't even try anymore to get people to share stories of faith in church. Because people aren't willing to share their story anymore. Everybody's hesitant. I don't have something to share. My story's not that important. It's not a big deal. It's just something small. I don't like talking in front of people. Nobody would care what I have to share. There's all sorts of reasons. Whether it be discomfort or dismissing our own story or just not stopping to realize God's been at work in our lives and there is something that he's doing that we could share. Perhaps you can relate with that. Sometimes people just think nobody would want to listen to their story. And yet for me, storytelling is one of the most important ministries of the church. And I believe we each have a story to tell. Actually, I believe we have numerous stories to tell, each of us. So this morning, I want to dive into Acts 22. And I want to see the role of stories in this passage and learn some things about our own story and the impact it can have in the world around us and how the world will respond to it. Now, really, when we talk about our story, all our stories intertwine with God's story. And it's just a matter of whether we're accepting God's story or rejecting God's story or something in between. So when we tell our story, what we're doing is we are revealing the work of God in the world in our life. We're sharing that God is real, that he cares for us, that he's at work. We are sharing the living word that is a work in the world. And Paul, in Acts 22, is telling his story here. But underlying that story, undergirding his story, is the story of Jesus and his death and resurrection, his teaching and his life, and his ascension and promise of one day returning. That's what undergirds Paul's story. 
whenever he's talking about what happened to him and who he is. It's what should undergird our story when we're talking about who God is and what God means to us. Because the good news of Jesus, that he lived and died, that he rose again, ascended to heaven, will one day return, that he's got a call on our life, that he loves us, that he has a purpose for us. That is our story, because we're a part of it. Now, as we examine this passage today, there's several lessons we can learn, uh, and most of the lessons will pertain to our story, what our story consists of, its impact, and the challenge it presents. And we learn from Paul in this passage that each of our stories have a past, a present, and a future. Each of our stories has these three parts. And we need to share all three parts, especially when we share what God is doing with those who don't know God, those who don't have a relationship with Jesus, those who have not yet experienced the working of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul begins his account in Acts 22, recounting his past, the good and the bad, that he was a Jew. He was trained, he was trained by Gamaliel, one of the greatest rabbis of his time. And so Paul's making it clear, I knew the law inside and out. He's making it clear he was zealous for God as anyone. More particularly, the law of God. And if you're not familiar with that term, zealous, we don't really use that very much anymore. It means that Paul was enthusiastic. He was deeply passionate for the law and through that for God. And that sounds great, but then he dives into his past that in his current state, as a follower of Jesus, he's not proud of at all. And he doesn't mince words. And this is probably one of the most blunt descriptions I see Paul giving of his past. And he shares, I persecuted the followers of this way, that is the followers of Jesus, to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. So basically he's saying, either I threw them in prison or I made sure they were dead. And he goes on to share that he went as far as pursuing them to bring them back to Jerusalem. He didn't want any of them to get away. Paul has shared the state of his life. And in his description to the religious leaders of the Jewish faith, it would seem that Paul had had everything and was fantastic. He was great. Yet as Paul describes it, they would clearly get a sense that he wasn't proud of it. People would be listening and asking, well, what comes next? He's sharing his story and his past has created anticipation. Paul is saying, this is who I was. And when we share what we were, Everyone usually is waiting, saying, well, what's the but? What comes next? I was this, but. And before we move to the next part of Paul's story, let's pause for a second. Sharing where we came from, who we used to be, can be hard and difficult. It can be something we don't want to revisit in our life, but it's so important you see, many people who have not come to have a personal relationship with Jesus, to see Jesus as the king of their life, are in the same space we were before we came to know Jesus. 
And we can quote scripture to them. We can tell them about all the sins we see them doing in their life. We can tell them all the spiritual laws that we've learned and been taught by different groups and people. We can put them through all the courses and all the programs. But if we don't share that we understand where they were, if we're not willing to share our story of saying, hey, here's where I was before, just like Paul did, they're not going to connect with us. It's going to be just another sales pitch. Buy into this. Do this. Do that. They need to understand that we understand the challenges they face. That we've been there. That we get the obstacles that life holds. And so when we fail to share our story, the past of our story, we leave out one of the biggest parts of our story that God really did love us and really does love us and he meets us where we are at. That we mattered to God before we ever came to faith and that they mattered to God. That even when we considered ourselves unlovable, God loved us. And we can talk about that all we want, but until we actually explain what that meant to us and how that changed our lives, it's going to be really hard to take root. They might hear it in their head, but are they going to understand it in the heart without the story of God at work in our lives being shared with them? We need to share where we came from so people know that God is work in the lives of everyone and that God truly does love each person in this world. And that leads us to the next part of Paul's story. He shared the background. He shared what he was. And the next part is what brings us to the present. Or more appropriately, who brought us to where we are today? And how did that happen? And so Paul continues with his story. He breaks the suspense of, well, what's that but? What's going to come next? By sharing the incredible experience he had on the Damascus Road. He's on his way to persecute Christians. And then there's this bright light. He hears a voice. And the revelation to those listening the voice was, in fact, Jesus. The very one that they had crucified. And Paul shares his calling. Paul shifted from telling the past to his present reality, that he has been changed by an encounter with Jesus. That he, the great persecutor of Jesus and his followers, God loved enough to meet at the road on Damascus. He shares that moment when his life changed. And he shifted from who he was to who he'd become and how he got there. And so when we tell our story, we don't stop with what we were or where we came from. We share where God has brought us to today. We share what changed and why it changed. We share how we are different. We share how God did that in our lives. Through the love and grace of Jesus and the working of the Holy Spirit, we answer the question, what is our new reality in this life with Jesus? And Paul does that. And then he moves on to sharing his calling, to Je- not just his calling to Jesus, but Jesus' calling on his life to something more. But he's essentially shared 
how Jesus wanted a relationship with him and made him who he is today. Paul shares how he went from being blind physically to how he could see. But yes, that was a literal thing, having his eyes restored. But there's also this metaphor in there of having a spiritual transformation that took place in his life where he was no longer blind to the truth but was able to see the truth of who Jesus was. That's a story that resonates with so many people in our world. And they just don't even realize it. That they're just blind to the truth of who Jesus is and they need to encounter the living God. And then Paul shifts in verse 14 to sharing what God had in store for him. And we see that Jesus didn't just want to know Paul, know Paul personally and to stop persecuting his followers. He wanted Paul to do his work in the world. And we see in verse 15 that Paul is called. And you will be Jesus' witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. That was the calling on Paul. He's going to be a witness to everyone about what you've seen and heard. And here he is being that witness right now in this passage. That was God's plan for Paul. And Paul shares how his past met his future in verses 19. And how he'd approved of Christians being killed. He's confessed his mistakes. And how God gave him a more focused calling And we read in verse 21, and then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Paul shared how his life was before Jesus, how Jesus got his attention to make him who he was, and he shares what God's plan is for him in the future. That's the story of Paul in a nutshell. And our story doesn't end with We're no longer sinners. We're saved by grace. Our story isn't just about saying a prayer and getting into heaven. It's about also about being a part of God's kingdom and living out our life as disciples here on earth. God loves us. Yes, with no conditions. Thanks be to God. God has saved us from our sins and given us the gift and promise of eternal life. Amen. But God saving us is also about God having a purpose for each and every one of us and wanting to use you and me in some way and form for the purpose of his kingdom. To bring the love and grace of Jesus into the world around us in tangible ways. And that is through our actions, it's through our words, it's through our sharing our story. And God does this through all of us, by empowering us by the work of his Holy Spirit in us. We don't do this on our own because God is with us. And God calls each of us to love our neighbor, to make disciples, to be a people of love. To be a people who live God's way. And so we share where we came from. We share how God changed us to be who we are today. And we share that God has a purpose for us here on earth. That's our story. And it's a powerful story. It's your story. And each of our stories is a miracle because it is rooted in the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. That God is at work in our lives. And so we do not dismiss any of our stories. All our stories are important. 
Our story shows the truth of Jesus as he works in us and through us, changing our lives. And that's the next thing we notice about Paul in this passage. And we learn our second point about our stories. Not only is our story a story of the past, present, and future, our story is about character development. In that past, present, future of our story, we see ourselves changed and transformed. And reality is every good story is about character development. How many movies and books are there that are just so good because a character develops from not knowing something to not being confident or being beaten down to rising up and overcoming impossible odds, showing success where it was impossible, or just believing in themselves in a new and wonderful way? I could list off movie after movie, but in reality, every good story has character development. If a character never changes in a story, you have to ask, why is there even a story? And we're disciples. We're God's at work in our life. And so we are being changed by the work of God in our lives. We have character development. In the case of Acts 22, we see incredible character development in Paul. And one of the first things we notice is that he changes and grows. Initially, he is zealous for the law. He's zealous for God as he'd been taught who God was to that point. But God was equal to rules for Paul, essentially. He had the law, and there's God, and and Paul would have seen those as pretty synonymous with each other. It wasn't about a relationship with God. It's about doing the right thing. And he was zealous also about persecuting those who rejected his understanding of who God was. But then Paul encounters Jesus, and his zealousness shifts from rules and practices to a zealousness for a relationship with Jesus that is the foundation of his calling to go into the whole world. He's no longer seeking the strict adherence to his understanding of the law. Rather, he wants to see people embrace a relationship with Jesus and root themselves in that. And Paul is all in on this mission. We see it in the stories of Paul as he goes through shipwrecks and persecution, story after story. And so he's all in on this mission he's been given to bring Jesus to the Gentiles. He's still zealous. He's just developed as a person, grown as a person. Been, his faith has matured him to the spot that he's zealous for Jesus. He is transformed from being this righteous Jew. That was who he was. That was his identity. Into this follower of Jesus. And that's how Paul would have seen himself. He took pride in who he was before he knew Jesus. But something changes farther on in chapter 22 into chapter 23. I want to read a little bit starting in verse 22. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this, and then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him! He's not fit to live! And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion, standing there, 
Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? And when the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you, what are you going to do, he asked. This man's a Roman citizen. And the commander went to Paul and asked, and said, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. So here it is. Paul is clearly a Roman citizen. Before he started persecuting Jesus, he was a proud Jew, a zealous Jew. That was his identity. And now he has no problem saying he's a Roman citizen. And he uses that privilege to communicate with the Roman centurion and commander to advocate for his view. Paul has changed his identity so much, he now is hanging his head on his Roman citizenship when before he was a proud Jew. Well, that's a change. But then in chapter 23, we see the Romans bring Paul before the Jewish leaders, and in this discussion, he goes, my brothers, I fulfilled my duty to God and all good conscience to this day. In fact, in the first six verses of Acts 23, there are three times that Paul refers to the Jewish leaders as my brothers. All of a sudden, he's once again identifying as a Jew. Is Paul confused? Is he changing his identity on the fly to fit the situation? I'd suggest to you, Paul's not confused at all. Rather, his identity has changed. He's grown. He's growing as a follower of Jesus. This is what we mean by character development. But reality, there's a better word than character development, and that is discipleship. Paul's grown as he's been discipled as a follower of Jesus. He's no longer rooting his identity solely in the kingdoms of the world. It doesn't matter to him if he's a Jew or a Roman citizen. They're there for a tool for his ministry. They're a tool for the gospel. Why? Because his identity has shifted from having this nationalistic identity as a Jew to being a servant of Jesus. His identity is now in God's kingdom. That's what we're talking about when we pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. Paul's aligned himself with the kingdom of God and the reign of Jesus in his life. And so the relationships and nationalities of earth are tools for him to do the work of God. And our identity is no different. Whatever our political leanings, whatever our citizenship, whatever groups we belong to or align with, no matter what football team we cheer with even, which I know is a little sacrilegious in Saskatchewan, our identity is rooted first and foremost, or should be rooted first and foremost in the kingdom of God. That is one of the most defining changes that should happen in our character and that should be evident in our story. Our character changes from one rooted in this world to one rooted in God's kingdom. And finally, we see Paul transformed from the persecutor to persecuted. Initially, he talked about how he was a persecutor. We, we discussed this a bit earlier on, on already. He was right in the middle, smack dab, persecuting Christians. And then in verse 22... This man who would have been the epitome of a devout Jew, having proclaimed Jesus as Lord and Savior, the crowd responds this way. In verse 22, the crowd listened to Paul until he said this. And then they raised their voices, shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. The crowds turn on him. 
He shifted from being the one who needs and thrives in holding the power to trusting God in the moments when the world confronts him and is against him for his faith. And yet, for Paul, this is not us versus them. This group of people are the same way Paul was before he encountered Jesus. So this is not an us versus them discussion. This is a before and after discussion. Paul's heart is one that wishes to see others experience Jesus the same way as he did. Which points us to the next thing we learn about our story. Our story will offend some people because it challenges their story. You see, our story intersects and interacts with the story of those in the world and with God's story. And our goal is to align our story with God's story, to be a part of his kingdom, and together to meet the world. And the challenge is we're often attracted and pulled towards aligning with the world's story instead. And we need to be intentional in how we live out our faith and whether we're living the world's way or Jesus' way. But living Jesus' way, living God's way, aligning our story with God's story, it's going to have consequences. And this passage shows us so well what can happen. When our story contrasts with the world's story, we shouldn't be surprised when the world puts it back and even attacks us for our story. We are a part of God's kingdom, and that is different than the world's kingdoms. It's a contrast. And the kingdom of God can be a threat to those living in the world. It can seek to undermine their values, or it can push people to reflect on something they're not yet willing to reflect on. Our story is one about submitting our lives to God, rooting ourselves in love and grace, and the world is about control over itself. That was the beginning of Paul's story, right? His story contrasted with the followers of Jesus. The prayer is that those in the world will see their story changed by encountering the living God. And that happens by us sharing our story. But not everybody's going to respond to it. That's not our job to make sure everybody responds to it. Our job is just to tell the story and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. And because the world doesn't respond to it, it doesn't mean we don't tell the story. It doesn't mean we have to apologize for our story. It doesn't mean that our story is bearing no fruit even. And it doesn't mean we dismiss the story of the world. It means we share our story and we listen to those in the world, even those who oppose us and have different views than us. And in that, perhaps we can see ways to share our story, to connect their story to God. We want to see the world align their story with God. And that means there's some tough times ahead for people. It means there's going to be tension. We need to reject this world's view that those who disagree with us are against us. Yes, we'll offend some, but when you look at those opposing Paul, it cannot be lost on us that they are just like Paul was before he came to know Jesus. 
They're zealous for the law. They're zealous for God. They're persecuting followers of Jesus. Our world would say that's us versus them. But we need to change our view to seeing ourselves as just being farther along the discipleship journey, the journey of faith. And our desire should not be to reject those who are rejecting us, but to pray for them and meet them where they're at and share our story as we're able to and be the light of Christ in this world. Friends, our stories are often the first real connection people have to God's story. People are always looking for the larger story they are a part of, the one that gives them meaning and purpose in some form of context, the one that fills in the blanks for everything going on in the world around them and in their lives. And if they can't find it, they'll fill in the blanks themselves. We all do this. That's how we have so many different views on so many different things in the world. We all just find ways to fill in the blanks. But when we share our story, for many it's going to be the first real connection they have to the story of God. Sure, they may know a few Bible stories they've heard. Maybe they've heard a sermon or some scripture read. But sometimes it takes our telling our story and how it intersects with God's story for someone to realize that God's story is real and is for them. And I believe God will give each of us opportunity to share our story, to encourage other believers, to help others take a step forward in faith. And you know what? Even to help ourselves grow as we reflect on what God is doing in our lives. I'll sometimes ask people, how have you seen God at work in your life? And it's amazing how hard that question can be to answer sometimes. It's not that God hasn't been at work, but we automatically start looking for this major transformational miracle. And we miss the incremental, the daily little ways that the Holy Spirit is nudging us and working in us and transforming us and changing us and leading us. And yes, sometimes there's big miracles too. So when we reflect on our own story so we can share it, so we know it, we grow. And sometimes as we tell our story, we're going to share our whole life journey. Sometimes we're going to share something smaller that's been happening recently. But what we're sharing is how God is at work in us and through us. We're sharing God's story and our part in it. But what is clear is we each have a story. And our stories have impact. There are people who need to encounter God and will do so through our stories. There will be people in this church who are encouraged by you sharing your story in your care group, for instance, or in conversation over lunch, or just those meetups that we have in the grocery store or wherever. The world's all about having the most sensational story, the biggest bang. But that's not the way in the kingdom of God, where the last shall be first, where the humble are blessed. Your story is a story of God at work in you and through you, and that is the miracle. That God has saved you and redeemed you 
through the love and grace found in Jesus Christ and is working in your life. That story needs to be told to those in the world, to one another, and to ourselves so we can give glory to God. Let's bow in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for your story that God sent you to earth so you could live and teach us of God's truth. That you would ultimately pay the price for our sins and brokenness, being that sacrifice so we could have that forgiveness of sins, that, that healing of our brokenness that we find in you, Jesus. And we thank you for your resurrection, that you conquered death. And Lord, we thank you that you've invited us into your story that you want to work in our lives and change us and transform us and help us to be a people who pay attention to that story, to see you at work, to not take that for granted, and to share the goodness of all that you are doing and have done in our life, how you've changed us, to share that with others so people will know the goodness of God, so we may know your love for us, Jesus so others can come to experience the working of your spirit in their lives. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.